Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. What gets us into trouble is not technology. What gets us into trouble are our values. <laughs> you know, like our 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 what we feel is is um, important to do with our lives, to acquire things, to buy things, uh, to to extract, to be go into competition. Um, you know, those sets of values versus to work together, to uh, create, to magnify beauty. That's another set of values. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest. She's Shari Frilo, artist, filmmaker, and chief curator of the New Frontier program at the Sundance Film Festival. What does a curator do there? First of all, what do we do here? I'm Bill McCuddy, along with uh, Scott Alexander and David Graber, and this is The Accutron Show. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. Are we here for real, or is this an avatar of David Graeber and Scott Alexander? It's always been an avatar it's, of David Graeber. Yeah. <laughs> no one looks real. that good all the time. And, and was that smart and gets that. So that means all the free stuff you get is going to an avatar that can't even enjoy it. I send a lot of things to my digital basement. Sad story. Yeah. Uh, today we have a special guest who is at the forefront of everything that's happening in virtual reality, but also how artists are using this new format to try and sell art uh it involves stories yeah and tell stories and tell stories and that's one of my concerns one of my concerns with virtual reality is is it going to take the place of reality i don't think it ever will i mean there's maybe there will become a time and it will be a long time in the future where the fidelity gets there where you might not want to leave it but that's a that's a long way off Uh, what we're seeing right now is the birth of a medium these things happen really rarely like the birth of cinema that's, all, that's right, 150 but, but years ago. You know, In that birthing period, people, David, are very kind of weary about whether it's there yet. Are we still in a wait-and-see kind of world with virtual reality? People just need their aha moment. I remember my aha moment. I was at the New Museum for their incubator, and an artist, Rachel Rosen, um, who's a fine artist. She's, she's a painter, but she's also a VR artist. She put me in a headset and set me in the middle of an explosion. <laughs> You're standing in the middle of an explosion— and by stepping forward or backward or anywhere around the room, you could control time. You can minimize the explosion. You can destroy everything around you. And that was the first time the apparatus uh, ceased to exist. And I lived inside of a VR story that was something above and beyond what I'd seen in other industries. So your head exploded, literally. I think people haven't had a lot of opportunities to get into a VR headset. And when they do... It's been I confined to most of the time people are playing video games when they're in these things. Right. Like, like there's a lot of, there's a PSVR, there's Oculus, and most of it's focused on, there's some great experiences, Beat Saber and all these other games. They're, they're delightful, but 
these artists getting their hooks into this stuff and having creating experiences like what David's talking about, something new, something you've never experienced before, something that is literally impossible to experience any other way. Instead of going to a gallery and looking at a painting on a wall, you know, paintings are great, but being able to actually experience something with your mind, your heart, your body that is embodied in three dimensions is pretty remarkable. So I actually think the video gaming generation that you're talking about is ripe for this kind of entertainment. They understand how to put the thing on. They understand that the the imagery how is happening the around them. Control, how they can control it and not control it. The great thing My, is what Shari does is it's not gaming and it's not choose your own adventure. Right. It's it's literally fine art. It's film quality VR experiences akin to what you'd find in the Sundance Film Festival. I've been going to to a New Frontier since 2015 and you know I could do another screening on Main Street or you can hop into her curatorial experience and literally go to another world. I've been on ayahuasca experiences. I've traveled in a pool in Park City, Utah, through space, wearing an Oculus, like going through outer space, wearing a swimsuit and a, and a headset. Like, it's the next level. It is the, the future. Okay, he's definitely an avatar. Uh, the Shari he's <laughs> talking ayahuasca. about is Shari Freelow. She uh, works with the Sundance Festival. One of the things I want to know from her is whether or not, especially after the pandemic, are we just going to put on headsets in the future and never go anywhere, never sit down in real theaters with people and have a collective right. experience? That frightens well, me. Well, what happened with the pandemic it hit, and we had a certain range of technologies, which instantly got boosted. All the video conferencing, virtual work, all that stuff was ready to go. People just weren't ready in their minds. The hardware isn't there in people's homes yet for VR. If this was 10 or 15 years in the future, we'd be in a very different place. It'd be really interesting to see the mindset, because what changed in COVID was the mindset around technology changed. But the hardware, just it isn't it was widely distributed as as it will as phones or computers are apropos of all of this we will talk to her in a zoom interview and we will speak <laughs> right. to her just before the sundance film festival by the time you see and hear this she will have been to the sundance film festival along with graber uh where and that's going to happen in person this year no it was actually 10 days ago it was pushed solely online unfortunately because last year was solely online shari had the infrastructure she had this spaceship she had this spaceship. We all put on goggles, and we just all hung out together from the comfort of our own home in a spaceship looking that was docked on the ISS and looking down at planet Earth. But these are these moments where technology pushes forward because the, it's of the necessity. Necessity is what pushes people's minds. Have either of you been to VR World, the theme park in Flatiron? No. Is that like Wayne's World? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Is no, it in like, a basement? It's like a full-on theme excellent. park. It's excellent. <laughs> VR on. It, and, and you put on, uh, you like put on laser a laser tag, but with goggles? It's But it's a lot of solo experiences. A lot of you're walking a on a tightrope between two buildings in a headset, or you're flying through the sky real Icarus style, but in a headset strapped down to a moving... Um, Wow. I love VR. I'm, I really do. I live for VR. At the risk of having some motion sickness during this interview, uh, <laughs> Shari Freelo joins us on the Accutron Show right after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails.
Shari, welcome to the Accutron Show. We were talking about uh, the New Frontier program, and I wonder if you could tell us where it came from and how you got involved. Well, I mean, I am a programmer of the Sundance Film Festival and selecting films since 1999. And uh, I have, I come from an experimental film background uh, where I used to do a festival called Mix. Mm. Um, And so I had this experience of seeing filmmakers tell stories uh, in ways that they needed to expand the form to be able to tell the story. And so they were innovating uh, ways of telling story. And sometimes that turned out to be uh, taking on new forms of, you know, of technology and, um, and creating, creating new technologies. So um, uh, at, when I was at Sundance, I, uh, right around 2000, what, six, seven, um, YouTube, little thing called YouTube came along. <laughs> and a lot of the filmmakers that I was dealing with at the festival uh, were poking around YouTube and um, doing uh, little mini like web uh, webisodes. Uh, and so I was just following the filmmakers. It's all I ever do is I follow the filmmakers and they tell me where to go. Um, and, uh, and that's where A lot where of guests do that went. to us on this show too. <laughs> They tell us where to go. Um, so, so that was sort of the, the the crawling before it walked kind of stage for this. And where is it now? Well, uh, you know, it turned out that, you know, paying attention to this intersection of what was happening with filmmakers and the new technolo- uh, technology platforms, paying attention to the art world. And a lot of those artists were being enthralled by the cinematic form you know, like Miranda July, John Grayson, Isaac Julian, this crossroads ended up being incredibly powerful convergence that continues to radiate. Uh, it was like a, like a black hole. Like it just continues to radiate uh, photons of innovation and energy and really, uh, you know, honestly, a $20 billion industry came out of the frontier in the form of VR. I mean, the... the um, the prototype for the Oculus Rift was created for New Frontier to be able to show something that Nani de la Pena um, developed and, and developed on a military grade VR headset at USC. And she, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let her take that headset to New Frontier <laughs> and have 50,000 people coming through it. So she created, her and Palmer Lucky created the, um, the, the prototype for the Oculus Rift. And that really just opened up. And it, it feels like it continues, this field it continues to open up not only fields of uh, and grounds of creativity, but industry. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of business out there that a whole industry field that didn't exist before. Shari, we first spoke in 2015 and Coolanting first covered you in 2013. And since we've seen in the industry grow around this technologically. We've seen VR at home fitness activities and VR gaming for families. But what you do with New Frontier hones in on the artistry of VR, AR, and mixed reality. Can you talk to me about the importance of artistry and how that is influencing the future of this industry? Um, and thank you for your question. Uh, you know, New Frontier is really looking at the dynamics 
that dynamic intersection of film art and new media technology. It happens that one of many things that came out of it were uh, the XR field, right? Augmented reality, things you can do with your phone, um, virtual reality. Uh, but you know how we got there was because artists decided that they needed to create a new way of telling, you know, Nani de la Pena, creating a new way of telling stories that uh, her, uh, the tools that she had as a journalist in Newsweeking time uh, didn't exist. It's, it's the artistry, it's the desire, that creative um, turbine that leads and compels artists to find a way to tell a story, create a way um, to say what they have to say uh, that, that ends up with something real, you know, something real, something that, 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 that reaches audiences, that moves audiences. And if it's moving audiences, it's going to move industry. It's going to move, uh, you know, colleagues and, and bring people to the field. And then that's how the field is generated uh, by, you know, an artistic vision um, that is compelling. Is there a, a sort of a language emerging for this? I know that, you know, back in the early days of film, you have D.W. Griffith and even Charlie Chaplin, like establishing these these filmic languages. And it seems like as VR and AR sort of emerge, um, are, you, are we seeing sort of ways of storytelling or, or ways of language or sort of forms coalescing around these things where there's conventions and, and that sort of thing? Or is it still kind of wide open? You know, it's funny because um, I often find myself in the language invention business. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, uh, because the thing, you know, this field is moving so fast. Our tech, you know, we. I think one of the reasons I think maybe I was compelled to jump into this this intersection and um, you know why artists were compelled to jump into it is. Because the technology at that time, you know, the internet and networked ways of, of communicating with each other and being with each other and then telling stories uh, was really exponentially growing. And um, really what, 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 what we are seeing are familiar technologies being networked and optimized at the very same time, uh, you know, uh, uh, VR is really a suite of technology that have come together to, um, in a you know, in a way that was improved for when it came around in the '90s, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it, the computing power power wasn't there. So if you went into VR in the '90s, it was just like, Bleh. you know, <laughs> it was really rough. But now that we have these supercomputers called our our cell phones, uh, you know, that technology come combines with, um, you know different visual approaches uh, to give us technology like VR. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about the metaverse right now. Mm. And that's, that's a, that's language that's being invented. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always wary about language that is invested in, in uh, the, uh, the intention to control. Yeah, I'm wary of technologies coming out of Facebook, period. Uh, so, yeah, I'd rather not have Mark Zuckerberg be in charge of uh, the metaverse. Thank you very much. He's, he's late to the game. Let's let's just face yeah. it. I mean, uh, the, the metaverse, um, 
I, you know, way was it 2017, 18, we started calling this landscape a biodigital landscape. Uh-huh. And the reason why uh, it really, it really started to gain uh, steam when remember the bird is still around bird, those scooters, oh, yeah. uh-huh. the bird scooters. Yeah. So I remember seeing bird scooters for the first time in Santa Monica. I'm like, Oh, wow, this is cool. You know, this kid with the phone. And then all of a sudden in about two weeks, the bird was from Santa Monica, which is all the way to the West side on the ocean to where I live over here on the East side of Los Angeles. I'm like, how did that happen so fast? And I realized that this is a viral activity. This is, this is something that has gone viral, but it's a scooter, but it's gone viral because it actually is a, a part of a, uh, a digital network. It is a part of digital landscape. Mm-hmm. And so I started, so this is a biodigital phenomenon. So I started to look at my phone, my home, my home screen and all of the most important applications on my home screen are biodigital. It's something that my body or my body is a part of of the circuitry of what this app is. Mm. Google Maps, it's getting my body somewhere. Um, Airbnb, it's getting my body somewhere. My body is a part of the, um, of the, of the circuitry of the app, as opposed to Facebook, where it kind of captures you and keeps you in this digital space. I've actually had the great privilege of being to a space that I'm gonna call your spaceship. I've been to the New Frontier spaceship. I was there last year. I'm looking forward to this year. Um, is that a biodigital bridge? Is this hub where I can step into VR projects and then return to a sort of holding lounge? Is that a biodigital bridge, an interspace between ours and the other? Well, you're going to get me talking about something that I'm really sad about right now because oh. Omicron took away our on the ground in person activation, mm. and what the biodigital what the biodigital bridge was. Uh, was a window in the spaceship. Uh, so if you're there in Avatar, this window was bigger than you, it was like human scale. And you can walk up to this window. And in our venue in Park City, there was also a big giant LED screen where you could walk up to and talk to the people, avatars on the spaceship. And the oh. spaceship can talk to the people from the craft. That was the biodigital bridge. That's remarkable. <laughs> okay. So without without the physical installation, it's virtual to virtual this year. That's right. It's okay. um well, you know, it's uh it's still it's still it's still people mm-hmm. in their homes, sure. it's still people on their devices. It's something that it's always been, uh, but instead of being in our uh, our official festival venues, people are at home. Well, that's kind of what virtual is all about. I mean, it's odd. I mean, I don't think someday, look, you said a couple of minutes ago, way back in 2017, and and, and that just, I think, underscores how quickly everything is changing here and how uh, what happened a year ago is going to be completely different a year from now. Uh, There's been three versions of the Oculus since then. You know, it's yeah. I mean, you were talking about military grade stuff that hasn't. My guess, my question is, is VR as good for everybody right now, uh, or is there something coming that's going to be even more amazing, like an Apple phone that they come out with every year that has another thing just around the corner? How good is VR now, and how much better is it going to get? Well, VR now is a whole lot better than it was five years ago. And I anticipate it being 
exponentially better as years come by. I mean, already, you know, if you put on the Quest 1 to the Quest 2, it's so much lighter and the, the images are better. And, uh, and, and, and I wouldn't, you know, these, these, these technologies and the way that they converge, especially with users using them and artists engaging with them, they might, there might be a quantum leap in the middle of it that we didn't even see. You know, coming. We don't know. To some degree, uh, but I'm I do. Always... I do think that we're not in stasis. Let's just say that. Yeah, the technology keeps getting better. The fidelity keeps getting better. But you know, when I think about the work that's behind it, is there is there a way? You know, a great song that's coming over AM radio is still a great song, even though it's scratchy and you might not hear it all. You hear it on FM or you hear it on satellite, and it's the fidelity's higher. But but the song's the song. Is there are there experiences this year that really kind of blew your socks off, or that you feel like it was something you haven't seen before? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, I mean, I saw hundreds of works, um, and that's not even counting the NFT, you know, oh, that that happened <laughs> on our desk this year. Uh, but uh, but there are, you know, if we're, if we're talking about VR, there is one piece. I mean, they're all so. So amazing. Um, but there's one piece on a technological front that was really different. Hmm. And uh, this is a piece, it's called Gondwana. And it's a 24 hour simulation uh, of the Dane tree, which is a, a tropical rainforest in, in Australia. And this simulation, uh, it's a, it's a, a three dimensional, you know, say a volumetric um, simulation uh, that is powered by dynamic climate change. That, uh, so, so, uh, so you go in there at midnight and you come out at midnight and, uh, you can go in and out and you can see the Dane tree, the environment changing hmm. and you can see time passing and you can go in there with VR or you can go in there with your computer and you can see each other in there as fireflies. Hmm. Um, but I've never, I've never seen a 24 hour uh, dynamic simulation of an environment. And uh, number one, and number two, the first time I went into that environment, I just lost an hour of my life. It was so beautiful. I couldn't, I, I did, had no idea I was in headset for an hour. You know, until my, um, um, my colleague was like, so should we look at the next one? <laughs> um, it's just, it was beautiful. It's transporting. And, you know, to have something like that, that is tuning in to the climate and our environment, uh, you know, in a dynamic way. These are, once again, artists are converging, you know, state-of-the-art technology with uh, these, an obstacle or a, a challenge that our society faces that really feels overwhelming mm. and really bringing it, converging these two together in a way that you can then build a relationship, your bodily relationship to something that, seems to be way bigger than you, overwhelming, like the climate change. Right. In this environment, in this piece, Gondwana, you feel like you are connected to the environment around you. Is, is that sort of the signature difference between something like like film where it's it's on a screen and and this and this the immersion of VR? It's that there's a physical almost identification with the space. It's empathy. It is empathy. That's been my experience. VR is a tool for empathy. I should tell you about Flat Earth VR. Uh, speaking of empathy, Lucas Risotto, who is such a clever, he's such a clever artist. So what Flat Earth VR, he takes on reputation of VR as an empathy machine. 
And he asks, so if this is a powerful empathy machine, and it is, what does it mean if what it, what's being asked of you is to invest in a vision that is delusional? And so he has made a piece called Flat Earth VR, where you are, uh, you are put in the shoes of a flat earther astronaut. <laughs> and you, uh, you hijack an, an, uh, a NASA rocket to fly into space uh, with the mission of taking a photo of the Earth exactly as it is, flat as a pancake. Right. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's so clever. But what's so interesting about this experience, it's only five minutes, right? It's so rich. But what's so great about it is that he creates a flat Earth that is one of the most beautiful, most compelling visions that you've seen. So you find yourself like, wow, the Earth is as flat as a pancake. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I have to tell everyone the truth. I take a photo. I've got to take a photo and bring it back. And you can. Would that be virtual non-reality? Would that be the big lie? It certainly, it comes to question what is real, right? You're so good at this. I want. Are we in virtual reality now? Because frankly, it would explain a lot about David Graver. <laughs> so this is happening, really? Okay. Uh, wh where do we, where will we, will we ever get lost in it? I guess that's the one thing, you know, I see kids that are playing video games all the time and I just think a virtual reality world, no matter how great the artists are or how responsible it wants to be. I mean, you just talked about a 24 hour commitment for one project. I mean, is, is it, a, is there a danger that we could like our avatars better than we like ourselves? What gets us into trouble is not technology. What gets us into trouble are our values. <laughs> you know, like our, 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 what we feel is, is um, important to do with our lives, to acquire things, to buy things, uh, to, to extract, to be, go into competition. Um, you know, those sets of values versus to work together, to uh, create, to magnify beauty. That's another set of values. Uh, you can set, take those two sets of values to the same technology, get two different results, two different worlds, two different internets. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a web point, web 3.0 is a do, blockchain. Do you worry? Yeah. Do you worry at all about those lines getting starker? It, it seems to me that, you know, there is a digital divide already. Um, of technology sort of haves and have nots as the technology for something like VR gets more rarefied, you know, are these experiences that can, that can end up being cut off from a certain part of the public? Well, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's great about the development of this world is that it's shooting in all directions, right? There is one direction that is, that can become more and more rarefied, Mm. Uh, to create the scarcity to magnify value of the gadgets, the the products, you know. And then there's other direction um, that is more open source and, uh, you know, more of a DIY. In fact, the piece called Sugar that's in the lineup this year is a great example of this. Mm. This is a dancer who uh, paired up with a couple of really brilliant technologists. Uh, this is a dancer during covid you know, needed to continue with their practice. So they came up with a way using Mozilla Hubs, which is open source, open to everybody, uh, came up with this, uh, 
a, a gear to capture her dancing body volumetrically in her living room. Mm. Um, you know, it's a Raspberry Pi. This is this is not you know state of the art, really mm-hmm. expensive stuff. This accessible technology uh, that you know she uh, created this phenomenal experience where collectively twenty people can join this dancer and embark on the transatlantic slave trade, end up in Barbados, learn the history of what happened there, and and including the liberation of of these slaves. And these are her ancestors, this is a heart story. Mm. And so at the end of this, she dances um, on the slave mill that uh, once um, was powered by her ancestors who were enslaved. And it's just this beautiful moment you know, and she didn't spend a lot of money on this. Mm-hmm. And the even and the and the, the, the rendering, the, the aesthetic of it looks and feels DIY, but the, the way that she tells the story, the way that she purposes this technology, uh really speaks to where we can take things, what mm-hmm. you know, what the world can look like, uh, how important it is important to to keep in mind what the what what questions do we bring to what we need. From our technology. One of the things we bring to this technology is our sponsor, the Accutron folks. We will take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about mainstream cinema and whether or not VR is going to be integrated into that anytime soon, or whether it's going to remain sort of a niche thing for just certain artists. All of that when we return on the Accutron show. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com and discover our legacy collection. Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Welcome back to the Accutron Show. We are talking with Shari Frilo, who is enlightening us about the things we put on our heads and go into other worlds. It's VR. It's being uh, obviously used to tell stories in a more compelling way. We're learning that the technology is getting even better and better. And when we uh, took the break, you were talking about a very DIY kind of uh a dancer that had done something that was extremely personal about uh, slavery. And I wonder if uh, mainstream media is going to embrace this kind of storytelling, not on a DIY level, but on a major level. Or even and, on a DIY level. Or, or, yeah, or maybe even, a, right, an independent film level or something uh, something that is embraceable uh for sort of all budgets, what do we? Wh- when are we going to walk into a theater and sit down with uh, five hundred other people and put some goggles on? <laughs> well, that happened in two thousand sixteen at the Egyptian. <laughs> so uh, you know, you're you're asking uh, the right question about like you know how are these technologies uh, converging and integrating and. Um, uh, if you come to the spaceship at New Frontier, the spaceship itself is a, a venue. It's it's actually three venues. There's a gallery. There's a film party where you can attend uh, film premiere parties and receptions for filmmakers. There's a cinema house. This entire spaceship is accessible interchangeably 
on your computer or your VR headset. So now we're talking about not just stories, we're talking about whole social uh, worlds that you can find. Spaceship happens to be ours. It's a custom-made spaceship, but you could go to VR chat. There's actually a film called that we're featuring in the uh, documentary competition called We Met in Virtual Reality. Uh, that is about a chapter of a year in COVID and uh, folks who went into the virtual reality and found a whole new world, found love, found meaning, mourned, uh, you know, relatives. It's beautiful. Um, but, you know, uh, on the spaceship, if you're in there in virtual reality, it is, it's really profound. It's very hard to explain the immersive quality of relating to other people especially other people that are there for the same reason you're there. You're there for the film festival. You're there, you know, to, um, to, to find your community. Um, and, uh, you know, to be able to present films in this situation. Um, so we have a cinema house where even in a lockdown pandemic, we can actually come together, gather and watch movies. We can gather and watch uh, artist presentations we can gather and watch some really cutting edge performances. So, you know, um, there are two that are really worth mentioning. 32 Sounds is uh, the latest from Sam Green and documentarian uh, Oscar nominated. Uh, and he is collaborating with J.D. Sampson on this piece. It's uh, something, a, a 95 minute production, live presentation uh, performance uh, of, sound and the relationship between sound and how sound connects us uh, and connects us to our environment. Uh, this is something that we will be opening the festival with uh, at four o'clock on Thursday. So definitely come and join us there. The other performance that we will be presenting in Cosmogeny is in, in the cinema house, it's called Cosmogeny. Now Cosmogeny, this dance troupe in Geneva has managed to scoop uh, a kind of way to, to give you live performance uh, before the avatars. I don't know if you are, have heard about the avatars. The avatars, so ABBA, mm -hmm. take a chance on me. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> they they recorded a new album. And uh, ABBA is amazing. They recorded a new album <laughs> and they are they, they teamed up with ILMX Lab uh, to create avatars of themselves when they were young and svelte and now they can do live concerts using their avatars now this technology is something that the studio uh Sai Gilles Jobin in Geneva arrived independently and months before and and this is a cosmogony cosmogony is um a live dance performance where the dancers are in mocap uh, suits uh, they are captured, their motions are captured in real time and integrated into, uh, 3D environments, um, in a way that just delivers this amazing dance performance that goes through time and space in various different landscapes. Uh, and at the end of this experience that will happen in Cinema House, uh, on the spaceship, you'll have a chance to talk in real time with the dancers mm -hmm. from their studio in Geneva. It it, it sounds when when we talk about virtual shared spaces virtually and and then talking about art, I immediately think shared space art. Okay, theater, like live theater, in that same way that you're in the room 
you know, you see a play, it's completely different than watching a film or or anything else, a, a live performance that way. Do you feel like we're we're close to getting those kind of performances in VR, where they have that same level of of sort of effectiveness? Without us getting up and walking onto the stage ourselves and being a part of it, I mean, I think that's I. I but there's so that, much that that's happened. immersive in in VR and so much that wants us to sit and watch and. You know, Scott's got a good point. Is is are we going to see more live besides dance? Are we going to see more live theater this way? Mm -hmm. It's such a great question, um, and uh, we could only we only need to look last year to what the Royal Shakespeare Theater has been doing. Indeed, it was a um, stunning setting. It's a fantastic production called Dream, and it really shows you how you know an artist's vision can en engage with a technology like VR, and not only think about it as let's produce something for you to watch in a headset. Um, they're taking on the visual language of, of, uh, of 3D, of volumetric imagery, mm. and, um, and using it as a camera in and of itself uh, to be able to place dancers who are uh, in mocap suits. You know, they can take that data stream of all those movements and put it inside of images that you can watch on 2D or 3D. So um, it's it's uh, these convergences. What 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 artists are doing with these technologies is really kind of incredible. And um, you know what what might seem to be a prototype that is uh, simply fascinating uh, may very well become an industry in in another you know in the next year. Which we we, we saw that happen. Um, you know with the Oculus. You've spoken of stories of, of gravity and some of levity and some of empathy, and we've addressed animation, documentary, 360-degree filmmaking, but you're a curator. What grips you? What is the through line for your curatorial vision for a festival? You know, um, you know, with the films, as with New Frontier, I, I am... Um, for Sundance, I, I fully recognize that I am selecting films and uh, new media works for a film audience. And, you know, I read the paper every day. I'm a citizen of the planet. I'm a citizen of this country. And I uh, have a personal relationship to, um, you know, given what I read and what I experience and how I'm treated and who I am is very much bound up in how I respond to works that come across my desk. Um, and I trust that if I have a response to this work, there are a lot of people out there that are like me that will also have a response to this work. So I really trust my instincts on stuff like that. It comes from a very basic personal place. Uh, of, you know, my, my gold reference for curation and selection. Uh, I'm lucky enough to work with a team on the film side of uh, you know nine other people who have their own compasses, and it's just really amazing to have conversations. We're all really different. We all have different standards, and we have different things that are important, different priorities and agendas for ourselves. And uh, I always grow as a person um, having these conversations with them. Uh, but it's personal, you know. It's I, I don't really uh, take curation as something of uh, a place of authority because it's not. It's a personal thing. Uh, it's it's and I'm sharing uh, these selections uh, 
in a way that I, and for me, I'm sharing my humanity with my audiences. And I, and I, um, I trust that it will either be relatable or it might expand their vision, um, ask them to consider something that they might not have considered before uh, and something that we can talk about. Bill touched upon something earlier about like the mainstream influence or the potential mainstream impact of Sundance in VR. And I know Darren Aronofsky premiered um, Spheres with Sundance, and that went on to sell for seven figures. Were you shocked by that, that amount of money going toward an artistic VR experience? Well, um, at that time, there was a lot of money going into VR. Um, you know, when when we showed the Oculus Rift, we kind of premiered it as a technology in 2013. Um, and then it was picked up for a couple billion dollars by Facebook um, about three months later, 14. Um, the, this technology is powerful. It's very compelling. You know, it makes you feel like something new. It, it's, it's revelatory. Uh, and um, it's also connected to a very powerful and lucrative network technology called the cell phone. <laughs> so it's really compelling to put money into this. Um, and a lot of money uh, went into it. And some of it was, um, some of it was misguided in terms of the invest on the investor side, because they saw this thing that was so amazing. It was just so obvious, the potential, right? Uh, that they put a lot of investment in it. But it was only like two, three years old. You know, it's like, you know, putting your five-year-old to go out, you know, put them out and pay the rent. It just wasn't, it's, it's an experimental, it was merging technology. And now we're starting to see, you know, the meat and uh, the bones of what, VR specifically can be, you know, now there are millions of headsets out there. The sales are growing. Uh, you know, Facebook, who owns uh, uh, the most sophisticated VR headset, you know, is now putting a stake into the metaverse where even more money is going into this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, it's it's healthy to see this kind of activity, this, this enthusiasm, this investment. Uh, we just have to be very careful about where our values lie in this landscape so that this this growth this um development um you know of the spectrum of our humanity actually is working for our humanity and not uh binding us uh as a resource i'm simply curious as to the longest period of time you've spent in a headset <laughs> <laughs> i think it was gondwana oh really because <laughs> i kept going in you know it's you know that this is you can go in and out of it right so I, I spent what, an hour and then I did like, okay, I have to stop this. I got to go back and do my work. And then there's no virtual that, bathroom. Go back in. Huh? It's no virtual bathroom. You have to get out of there occasionally. Yeah, exactly. right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that has not been invented yet. <laughs> virtual bathroom. Um, yeah, it's, it, it probably was Gondwana because it really was just an effortless experience. Hmm. And also the, the spaceship too. I, I find that um, I, you know, I'll go in there for a tech check and I'll watch a feature film inside of Cinema House to see. And then I'll go to film party and I'll meet with my team and I'll stay there for a long time. It is so beautiful and peaceful. Uh, honestly, I, have, I just stopped counting the time, you know? So it, <laughs> I guess that's my answer. <laughs> long enough for me to lose track of time. Are there experiences at the other end of that spectrum where there's, you know, a lot of art is 
has to do with making people uncomfortable. Are there experiences in VR that that try to accomplish that? Well, you know, certainly Flat Earth VR is one of those films when you're like, I really actually believe in this Flat Earth fantasy. Um, uh, You know, it seems like this. There's so much power over your what you're seeing and feeling and sensing. It seems like it has even more potential for creating. You know, like you look at a Francis Bacon painting and you might go, "Oh, that makes me feel a little queasy." Oh, yeah. Well, there. You know, for me that. Uh, line of inquiry really gets into the responsibility of the medium because the medium is directly engaging your proprioception, just kind of where you place, where, where you um, identify yourself physically. Right. It's part of the power of it, but you can do things irresponsibly that can make you just puke your guts out. So, <laughs> fortunately, I enter less and less these kinds of experiences. I think artists and the um, uh, folks who are in the business of making VR, no, not to do this. That's that's a no fly zone. Um, you know what's what what's really compelling are artists who take that power of transporting your body inside of a situation and they give you some bad news, mm. right? And then ask you and your the, the information that you have in your body ask you to respond to it in a different way. Right. In a certain sense, that's what Nani de la Pena was doing to begin with, you know, asking you to reconsider, to feel the fact that this guy is hungry and fell out in a, in a way that's different than when you have read it. You know, there's a piece that we're showing this year called This is Not a Ceremony, uh, made by um, Colin Van Loon's Blackfoot, uh, uh, Northern Territory in Canada. And this piece tells a story, really rough stories, of uh, what it is to be indigenous man growing up in Canada. A couple of stories, some rough stuff happens to these men. Um, But, you know, he does this in a way that you are being asked to physically show up and listen to these stories. You're being asked to witness and, um, and you're, and you're, and you're also being asked to see the redemption and to, to take responsibility for witnessing this and not as a part of like, uh, an ex- entertainment experience, but to to hold this information and share it with us when you come out of that. Well, you physically showed up for us. We appreciate it. Before I let you go, though, before you came, we were talking about this, and it's my big concern. I think in a pandemic, we can use virtual reality to attend plays like he's talking about or movies like you were talking about. But my concern is, and my question for you, is will this replace the brick and mortar experience? Will it? Will we eventually just put something on to go to a Broadway play or will we all sit in a movie theater again together and react to something as a group? I think that the, the, the world is wide and there's room for all of this. And we've learned this, you know, TV did not replace radio, you know, um, uh, t- Video did not replace film. Uh, the internet, uh, you know, gave us YouTube, but we still go to the movies. And now we can watch movies on the internet, but we still like to go into the theaters. I mean, I think there is just room for it all. And, uh, you know, now we can go to a theater in, uh, on, on, in VR, you know, with something like big screen or come to the, you know, the, the spaceship. I think there is, I think 
people are really open to the full range of innovation and new forms. They're always open to stories in any form. Um, there's no reason to think about it in a way of scarcity. I think it's an abundant landscape. Well, thanks for joining us uh, in our little landscape here on the Accutron Show. Shara, you've been a, an incredible guest to look at the future, and uh, we will beam us aboard anytime. We'll come and visit the spaceship. <laughs> love, love to take you to the cantina. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.